Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. So, Jerry, this is happening. This is episode one, if you can believe it, of the Wheelhouse with Jerry Depoto. My name is Aaron Goldsmith, and Jerry, I know you've you've done you've done like everything in this game, man. From on the field to the front office, have you ever had your own podcast? I never have, and and, and the setup on the table right now is so reminiscent of a show that I, I frequented as a child, WKRP in Cincinnati. I feel like you are Doctor Johnny Fever. Thank you. I pre- I've been I'm, looking for that compliment for a while. Yeah, I'm Lester Nesman, right? ready to go. <laughs> Well, we are. I'm glad you brought that up. We are in the Legends Room here inside Safeco Field. It is Thanksgiving Eve, which was a big day last year in Mariners history, wasn't it? It, it, yesterday was a big day. Every day is a big day. I hope tomorrow's bigger. Uh, last year on this day, we uh, we all got the uh, text alert, the news alert that you made a uh, a pretty landmark trade uh, for the Mariners on a Thanksgiving Eve, uh, bringing uh, well Mitch Hanniger over, bringing Gene Segura over. So uh, who knows what uh, the rest of this offseason could be like for you, Jerry? I, I thought you were referencing the birth of the greatest player in the history of the organization, well, that's true. which I believe is yes. also uh, yeah. Griffey and Stan Musial, both from Denora, Pennsylvania, both born on the same day. That's serendipity. How about that? Just a guess. I've wanted to use that word for years, and it just (laughs) seemed appropriate. Well, hey, man, first of all, before we get too deep into this, this being our first episode, this is kind of the time of the year for thanks, and it it does seem very appropriate. Uh, This is a remarkable opportunity for for all of us, our listeners, uh, us here who are part of this podcast, uh, to thank you for uh, taking the time, uh, not only for this, but we hope to make this uh, an ongoing, somewhat regular podcast. And this is not... There's nothing else like this going right now, Jerry. Uh, there's no other major league general manager who is, I know we joked about having your own podcast, but there's nobody else doing this. And there's been a, a lot of uh, thought and man hours put into this. So on, on behalf of Kevin Martinez, uh, Colin O'Keefe, who is not a father yet, but this is like his first child. Uh, I mean, ser- seriously, thank you for taking uh, your time, which is more valuable than any of ours to do this, because I think this is going to be a lot of fun, not only for us, but more importantly for the listeners. Oh, I'm glad to do it. I, a, I love talking about what we do. And, and I guess, B, while other clubs might not be doing or other general managers might not be doing podcasts like this, there's there's some – they're probably not as active as we are either for the last, you know, two-plus years. So, you know, having a, having a vehicle to, to connect with our fans and talk about what we do every day and why we do it seems fun to me. Well, it means a lot. So we appreciate your attitude and your willingness to, to t- chat about these things, which is not a surprise as we've gotten to know you over the years. There's been some uh, some big news uh, around Major League Baseball, and it uh, surrounds around a guy whose name uh, rhymes with Otani. <laughs> uh, Otani will be posted. I mean, this is going to happen. He will be playing 
in the majors next year in 2018. And a lot of people believe that that deal will be made with his future team around Christmas time. Uh, you had a chance to go to Japan. You have not made it secret. And it wasn't just you. It was you and a convoy of other Mariners representatives. I mean, you've not made it a secret that you, like basically everybody else, are interested in what Otani might offer. First of all, tell us about him as a player. Uh, I am so excited just to be able to talk about what I saw instead of instead of constantly saying the right thing. I, we are so excited for the opportunity, like 29 other clubs in the big leagues, to to finally reach this point and actively pursue Shohei Otani. He is an incredibly gifted player on both sides of the ball. You know, to use a football term, he's he's a gifted pitcher with a fastball that ranges from 93 to 103, <laughs> which is a pretty phenomenal by itself. But when you add the fact that he has two polished secondary pitches, he has a hard, sharp slider, and he has a split finger that he uses as both a change and a strikeout pitch that are both advanced. He throws strikes. He's been a Cy Young quality starting pitcher in the NPB over in Japan. And he's also been an MVP level hitter, uh, you know, playing the outfield and DHing with big time power. And he controls the strike zone. He runs very well. It's, uh, you know, I, I've jokingly referenced him internally as Roy Hobbs. And, and it's, almost, <laughs> it, it's almost too good to be true when you're watching him play. He's, uh, he's such a gifted player. He's humble in the way he goes about his business. I know the Nippon Ham Fighters, who I think have handled this whole thing so graciously, have have spoken so highly of the person and what he's about. And we have the good fortune here with the Mariners, whether it's Tom Allison, it's Tom McNamara, it's Scott Hunter, good scouting people. But we also have a great connection with what's going on in the MPB and in Japan with, with people like Ted Hyde and Anthony Suzuki and the great history that the Mariners have with Japanese players. So uh, we, we had some doors open to us during our time over in Japan that might not be open to everybody. So you bring up the history. I think that's such a fascinating angle because to your point, it is unique in many ways to the Mariners. Uh, more recently, Iwakuma, before that, obviously Ichiro. How big of a play is that history, do you think, for Otani? Well, it could go one way or the other, frankly. You know, he might want to, to start a career on his own mm -hmm. with a team that has not had an imprint made by a Japanese star. He wants to be the Ichiro, yeah. the first Ichiro for that team. Could be. Yeah. You know, it could also be that whether you look at Ichiro, Sasaki, Jojima, mm -hmm. Iwakuma, the, the, the history of the Japanese player in Seattle has been so celebrated. And some of the greatest players in our franchise's history have been from Japan. That there is an attraction there. There has to be for a player who is as respectful of, of those who came before him as Shohei Otani appears to be. That, I think, is a, is a positive in our favor, and, and especially because all of those players so far have been more than happy or willing to assist us in, in the recruiting process, among others. I, we're not we're – not, joking around we are bringing we're bringing the, the big guns we're bringing the a game <laughs> you know we plan when we sit down we'll be sitting down with uh with very notable faces and and that is a part of what we want to sell is the we want to sell the the seattle experience what it means to the japanese american our culture and how this organization has trended and and trended so positively when we have the the star japanese player and and make no mistake this is a star japanese player he's gifted uh he's he's going to make some team a lot better so can you dive a little bit deeper into that in terms of I mean you're beginning to sound a little bit like Nick Saban right like going after the five-star recruit the can't miss guy I mean how 
what is this what are these conversations like these in person and are you the there must be every team that's going to be doing something like this is that right i would assume so you know it's a, i would say it's 30 for 30 there's some unique uh, circumstances here one you know otani is, is he is not exempt from the the signing slot system that exists in mlb so there are a handful of teams that are in the penalty box we call it where they are not allowed to spend more than $300,000 to sign the player. We're not one of those teams. There are a handful that have something in the neighborhood of uh, one to three and a half million dollars in, in accessible uh, funds. But you know, we, we, have, we have made no bones about it in talking to other clubs. We've gathered as much as we can. Uh, we've tried to pull some out of the couch cushions so that when we, <laughs> <laughs> when we hop on the plane, you know, our pockets are full. But, you know, it, he is he – is, in his circumstance, he's coming over as a 23-year-old. Two years prior to, to when he would be exempt, he's coming over with the knowledge that he's leaving a fair amount of money on the table, which I think speaks a ton about his interest level and where he's going, whether it's the team he's playing for, the teammates that he'll saddle up with once the, the season starts, or what he feels as a comfort with the organization that, that recruits him. This is maybe the most unique circumstance in, in, that I can recall in baseball. It is all about how you as a city, as an organization, and as human beings appeal to an individual rather than the, the final paycheck, which is, uh, you know, in my lifetime, that's really never been sure. a thing. <laughs> so how, and I'll preface all this, even though we're like 10 minutes into it, <laughs> I'll preface all of it by saying, you know, if there's, there obviously could be some things that you can't go too deep into. And if that's the case, of course, we totally understand it. But from a... From like an actual logistical standpoint, how does this young man who's living in Japan meet with or talk with, let's say, even 25 teams and hear a sales pitch? I mean, how are there enough hours in the day? How is this going to happen? Well, I think, you know, for us, we have spent most of the last, let's call it, year uh, preparing for this moment. Really? And, and we have uh, whether it's whether it's written presentations, it's it's uh, something aesthetic for him to touch and to feel. We've put together a, a film uh, on the, the the merits of Seattle and the Mariners and different ways to appeal to him. And and we're hopeful that at some point we get to sit down in the same room, whether it be on his home turf and in Japan or whether it be here in Seattle or preferably both, where he gets the opportunity to come meet us and and see what our city's about. And I would imagine that's going to be difficult for him to vet through with 29 other clubs, I'm, I'm sure, who want to do the very same thing. Okay, so to stick with the uh, college football recruiting analogy, uh, he's getting letters from Alabama all the way down to Ball State, but he's going to choose his top, I'm just going to throw a number out there, his top five to go make an actual visit to. That would be my assumption, okay. whether it's five, whether it's 10. Sure. I can't really say yeah. that number is going to be up to him. I can't imagine they're going to go on a 30-city <laughs> tour de force. <laughs> you know, that, that seems to that be – might run into spring yeah, training a little that's bit. That's hard to believe. But, you know, whether they're going to hit Scottsdale Community College okay. or just stop at Ball State. <laughs> but, Nothing uh, against Muncie. Yeah, yeah it's a, it, it, is a, it is a fascinating case with one of the most talented players in the world who is, I, I want to say – 30 teams understand mm -hmm. the value of the potential impact that he can make immediately. This isn't a player that needs to go to the minor leagues and gestate for a while. He's, he is ready to go. He's, it's plug-and-play difference maker on your big league club. And the highest bonus, or excuse me, the highest yes, signing bonus that he can get is, you said, in the neighborhood of three and a half? Yeah, roughly. Okay, so really, I mean, 
of course, three the difference between one and a half and three and a half to most people is immense. Oh, it's a lifetime of earnings. Sure, yeah. yeah, but in his particular case, I mean, it seems like this is really more of a where he feels most comfortable thing. Then I think that's right okay. because somewhere as this develops, somewhere down the line, for a twenty-three year old, right. this is the start of his career, and you know the earnings potential is great. There's mm-hmm. no there's no bones or getting around that, and. I think the the excitement that 30 teams feel, and I'm sure the excitement that Otani himself feels. The This is a lifelong dream for him, dating back to when he was in high school. He's talked about it on record. He's always wanted the opportunity to, to play at the major league level and, and show that he's that he is among the elite players in the world. And, and after having seen him play, I, I don't I have seen players hit the ball 500 feet, and I have seen players throw the ball 100 miles an hour. I've just never seen one player who can do both of those things. When you went to Japan, was the emphasis of that trip simply to see him play in person, or was there deeper recon than just that? No, it was pretty much just that. Okay. <laughs> we, we did actually have a list of other, other players, particularly pitchers, that mm-hmm. we wanted to see. And uh, we, spent, we spent 10 days surfing through the various other clubs in the, in the NPB while premium starting pitching was, was on display. But we were there to watch Shoei. We spent most of our time there with the Nippon Ham Fighters, either either meeting with their people, watching them play, or or just generally staying in tune with where he was. And we had the good fortune. We, we saw every start he made. We had a live scout there to watch every time he pitched. And we saw most of his plate appearances okay. during the course of the year. As you might expect, this has been uh, – and, and there was a crowd of folks there you to don't watch. Say. Yeah, there there were more Major League Baseball personnel present in some circumstances than than maybe there were fans in the lower bowl. It was it was crowded. Is he a control the zone guy? Is he going to go to the hitter summit if he becomes a Mariner? He can be whatever he wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, he'll go to the hitter summit and the pitcher summit as <laughs> right, it works yeah. out. But uh, you know, he does. He controls the strike zone. He is he's very calm in how he goes about his business. You can tell this is a it's a polished player, and and he's been through this before. And he's been to a championship level for a Japanese team. He's competed on the biggest of the international stages at the WBC. He's been a celebrated amateur player, an MVP as a professional. And and the logical next step is to go apply his trade with the other best players in the world because he's one of them. Are you a sushi guy? I am a sushi guy. And I will say that in addition to the wonder of watching Otani play, uh-huh. the the tour through Japan from the north to the south end of the island and and the different the different cuisines tried multiple different types of really? uh, of you ramen. Were yeah, it oh, wasn't ramen. Yeah, there's okay. a, there there are many different bases that you can get and and depending on which part of the island you're on, it it, it defines which base to the ramen, whether it's a miso base or a pork base. And it's, uh, I, I have to say, it was. I, I, have, I have pictures if you'd like to see it happen. Well, that's going to have to happen. Yeah. <laughs> now, are you a pho guy? Have I am a pho? pho guy. So, right? if you could have, would you eat pho or ramen for the rest of your life if you could only choose one? Oof. I would probably choose the ramen, but I, it, it, don't. Don't hold you Don't to hold that? me to that. It, it depends on what mood I'm in each day. And how rainy it is. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think, you know, when it comes to the Otani thing, obviously, this is, this is the front of every. Mariners fans mind right now it seems like and probably the front of every fans mind regardless of what team but it just I don't know if it seems like maybe it's because of the Japanese connection we've already talked about um, or what it might be but this is this is obviously a thrilling exciting time for the fan base and for you as well and I guess is it fair to say like this the sweepstakes is on now right I mean this it's it's on to 
uh, start the best recruitment you can possibly have. And it sounds like you guys have been doing that for over a year now. Yeah, and I and I bet that makes us one of many or all teams that have yeah. that have put together similar packages, goods, etc., or have been thinking about it in this way, and, and and frankly been thinking about it in this way for multiple years. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously for us now this year because there was so much rumor and a lot of times where there's smoke, there's fire. We started early in our in just making sure that we were there in tune with with his progress as the season went along and. And we've all been waiting for this day. So I do believe that the, the, the league itself is excited. The personnel, front office-wise, fan bases, he's an electric player. And it's a, it's, it's a very notable time in Major League history to have something so unique uh, like this happen. And I, I think it's exciting from owners through, the, sure. through you know, our, our season ticket holders to, to, the, to the, the, the fan who is just picking up uh, you know, trade rumors and, and dialing in. They want to know. I, I'm doing it, and and I know I, I'm, I don't know if there's a bigger Mariner fan in the world right now than me. Sure. But at the at the end of the day, this is uh, is something I'm generally positive and and I'm excitable in the in the worst of times. I'm pretty excited about this. I know that. So you make a trade. You send Tiago Vieira to Chicago as the White Sox continue to hoard every player under 25 in Major League Baseball, and you send him to Chicago for money in the international signing slot. I mean, this is what you were talking about. Basically, you give him up for a chance to give Otani more money as a bonus. Is that the simple way to put it? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the that was the idea. And, you know, we had – there are a couple of things, to be honest with you, that, that played into that, but not the least of which is we're trying to increase our, our available slot money so we can pull together as much money as we can in the effort to, to bring Joey Otani to Seattle. The other was we did have to clean up our roster. You know, last year, so many issues with our pitching and injuries that we wound up putting a lot of players on our roster, pitchers on our roster. And at one point, just prior to the GM meetings, we had 39 players on our 40-man roster, 26 of which were pitchers. <laughs> uh, the ratio seemed to tick off, and, and we needed to, <laughs> you know, we needed to, to figure out how to solve that. And, and we thought that one of the more productive ways to start clearing it up was, was in this type of transaction, where we could increase our odds of bringing Otani in and, uh, and also give Thiago, who's a wonderful kid, an opportunity to go play in more of a rebuild situation understanding that he had two options left and, and was going to need more time at the minor league levels. So it, it solved two different issues for us, and, and we were quite happy to do it that way. We are not going to leave a stone unturned in the efforts to do it again if the opportunity exists. And, and we'll be responsible in how we do it, but we understand that this is a, you know, this is a one-time buying opportunity, and, and you have to be prepared. And, and to me, the worst thing we can be is sitting on the sideline get, being too conservative uh, sitting on our hands when when an opportunity to change the history of your organization comes along because that's what this might be. So to confirm and go just a step further in that, and based on something else you said earlier, there is still more money that you have to that you could accrue before you reach that cap that you could give Otani. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Conceivably, we are currently holding slots that add up to just short of one point six million dollars. Okay. We have the ability within the confines of MLB rules to acquire another, let's call it 2.3 million. Now, the, the trick is finding teams that are both willing to trade the, their, their slot space and a team that's willing to trade their slot space for something we're willing to, to right. trade in the other direction. Because it doesn't sound like there are probably many teams who are willing to trade slot space at this point. My guess is it's getting harder than ever. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, some 
you know, we always talk about what could be with Otani. There's something that actually has happened. You have a new first baseman. Tell us about Ryan Healy. I'm pretty excited to have Ryan Healy. You know, he's going to be 26 years old for the 2018 season. He's as a 25-year-old last year, played between third base, first base, and DH, a full-time role with the Oakland A's, hit 25 homers through roughly 800 career plate appearances to date. Uh, he, has, he has put up an OPS just short of 800. And there's no reason why he shouldn't get better. Uh, he's about league average in terms of his strikeout rate. He's not prone to walking a ton, and, but he does do damage, and he's always hit. From A ball, from actually from the, the, the earliest stages, high school, college, from the A level to the AAA level, he's always hit a career 300 hitter in the minor leagues. And one of our general thoughts is if we can couple power with a field to hit, as we, we get with Ryan Healy, there's our ability to get on base maybe a little more linked to the bat than, than we prefer, but he brings something that's just that hard to find for us, and that is cheap, affordable power at a position that has been difficult for us to fill. And, uh, and over the course of a two-year stretch or a year-and-a-half stretch, he's shown to be a pretty productive hitter in this league. And, and that gives us one solution at an affordable rate with a player we hold for five more years that, that allows us the ability to go focus our needs or our, our resources to fill needs in other areas. Is it, and this might be a ridiculous question, but is it always your preference? I mean, it has to be to not have to platoon something. I mean, the idea of... You've got two guys, and you can give a guy a rest. But the, the the handcuffs on your roster, two guys for one position. I mean, especially if you have Nelson, right? You, you really Nelson's not moving from DH, right? Seager's maybe. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. If if Shohei Otani is a is a Seattle Mariner, you're going to see a little more Nelly in the outfield. Okay. And you know, it's a the, that is one of the trade offs that that we are willing to make. And I think you know Nelson is is going to be foaming at the mouth for the opportunity to, to get back out in the outfield a couple times a week if if need be but um, that is possible but okay. to the you know to the point that that we are trying to eliminate platoons I, having gr- I grew up a Met fan in in the 70s and the 80s and and when I was in high school going off to college the Mets were running a platoon of Wally Backman and Tim Tuffle and at the same time they were running a platoon of Mookie Wilson and Lenny Dykstra and another platoon of Ray Knight and Howard Johnson and I look back on it now as a general manager thinking how in the heck did they do it it is so hard to juggle that kind of roster uh, flexibility and the, the key is you have to have flexible players and we had a year ago and what we intend to have this year is a flexible outfield of players who can play multiple positions guys like Mitch Hanniger and Ben Gamble and Guillermo Heredia can play all three Gerard Dyson a year ago could do the same we're hopeful of filling the void with dice with someone of a similar skill set if not we intend for that person to be flexible same with Ryan Healy. He plays third, he plays first, he DHs. Nelly can run into the outfield. We're trying to do away with platoons, but we don't want to do away with a flexible roster mm-hmm. because what it'll do is it will allow us not to expose what a player doesn't do well. We want to put our players from, from Scott to the coaching staff to the front office. Our goal every day is to put our players in a position where they are at optimum opportunity to succeed and you know we don't want to expose their weaknesses to the extent that we can avoid it and and if we can do that without having straight platoons on the field then that's plan a Healy's the guy that's got some uh, northwest roots 
first-round draft pick out of Oregon in the Pac-12, which is pretty neat. He seemed pretty fired up to be coming back to the Northwest, which I thought was kind of special, kind of cool. Yeah, it was, it was actually, as we look through, he was a guy that I saw playing college. I think Scott did as well uh, at the University of Oregon. And he hit there. And it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's not hard to tell what he does best because it's pretty loud when it comes off his bat. But when I had the opportunity to talk to him on the phone at the GM meetings the other day and we acquired him that night, I think his first reaction was, was excitement that this was happening. I don't think it was lost on him that with the, the crush that the Oakland A's had with Chris Davis, they're wanting to move Chris to DH and Matt Olson's rise to, mm-hmm. to prominence over August and September. You know, the fact that Matt Chapman, you know, recent first round pick sure. is, is now entrenched at third base. There, there had something had to give. And, and when something has to give and a trade is imminent, there's a 60, 40 chance you're going to wind up with the Mariners. <laughs> and, you know, I think the, 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 the odds, the odds were in our favor. We, uh, we did, we had eyeballed Ryan as early as the 2016 season, knowing that he fit a need for us. And if you recall at the time, we've always, always viewed him as a candidate to shift to the other side of the infield. And, you know, Deho Lee was on our roster at the time as the other half of Adam Lind. You mean future Mariners Hall of Famer Deho Lee? Why wouldn't he? Yes. Yeah. Honorary member. (laughs) I think, uh, you know, looking for the next iteration of of Deho Lee or, you know, a player who could take first base and just run with it, we had identified him as a candidate back in 16. Uh, We again got to see him a fair bit in 2017. And, you know, we went out and we acquired him. We thought was the right rate. It did cost us a player in Emilio Pagan that we liked quite a bit who did a great job for us last year. But it was an opportunity for us to get better and to solve a roster problem for us. And, and frankly, to line up a team that I don't think many people realize, you know, as we project right now into 2018, we have two players on our field that are over the age of 30, which is from where we started in 2015 at the end of the season to where we are today, that's, a, that's pretty phenomenal progress. We're controllable, and we should start the season with only one pending free agent among our position players, and that would be Nelson Cruz. You know, along the lines of the trade, you mentioned Pagan, which obviously he really, you could see his, you could see Scott's confidence in him grow. You could see his confidence grow. Uh, it was really, it was fun to see kind of what the future might hold for him. We'll see it in a different uniform now. But I'm guessing that, that tr- this trade that we're talking about for Ryan Healy resulted in something you'd never done before. You also traded Alexander Campos, a young minor leaguer. Is he the first player you've ever traded who was born in the year 2000? Ah, wow he is a pup when i saw that on reference i thought no come on yep he was born in year 2000 there's i I will say that that almost almost has to be true it has to be right it has to be and and that's a hard thing to say because we've done a lot sure yeah he almost has to be the youngest player we've traded and and we have traded some players from the 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 dominican summer league club over the course of the last two years but i i I gotta believe that alex (laughs) would be the youngest and uh, he also he's a nice player. We loved having him in the system. He's a good kid, and you know our thought was that the difference Ryan Healy has a chance to make in an everyday role on our team right now, as opposed to what we felt was dealing from an area of depth in, in moving Emilio, and, and an area we felt like we can continue to refill like we did later with with a trade for Nick Rumbelow, uh, and we feel like we will continue to add in that area. But the, the move of Alex Campos, you know, hopefully in six or eight years, Alex has turned into the player that we think he can be, and we'll root for him to be, become that regardless of where he's playing.
You mentioned Rumbelow coming over from the Yankees, a uh, guy coming off Tommy John. What is his – has Max a AAA? Is that correct? No, he's actually pitched in the, big, pitched leagues. In the big leagues. Yeah. Okay. Nick Rumbelow is a former LSU Tiger, not okay. to be mistaken with Nick Saban's Alabama Crimson Tide. There you but, go. Uh, Nick Rumbelow comes to us from the Yankees. He will pitch this year at 26. He has two minor league options left. So effectively, Nick Rumbelow comes and slides into the role that Emilio Pagan played for us last year. Nick appeared in the big leagues for the first time in 2015 as a 23-year-old. Pitched 15 effective innings for the Yankees. Uh, struck out 15. Uh, had a four-ish ERA, and and generally performed quite well for a 23-year-old who moved through the system very quickly with the Yankees. The following year, he came back and after one outing, went down with Tommy John and missed the entire 2016 season. Okay. Last year was his return, and upon his return, he he dominated. He threw up an ERA of I believe a cumulative ERA of 1.12 over 40-plus innings with 10.5 strikeouts per nine and less than 2.5 walks per nine. His fastball reached 97, 98, uh, averages about 94.5, and, and and he's got what we think is perhaps one of the best breaking balls that was still in the minor leagues. It's a, He's also got an average changeup. He's a three-pitch guy who throws strikes, misses a lot of bats, uh, pitched 40-plus innings last year without giving up a ball over the fence, which I got to believe is really? a rarity in 2017 pro baseball. So we feel like he profiles as a setup guy uh, at the major league level and probably sooner than later with the stuff, frankly, to, to ascend to a, a, a closer role if the makeup ticks off. And, you know, that's TBD. So you've got, you've got like, I'm just going to guess here, you have three members of what would maybe be like the 2000 2000- 14 Trenton Thunder is that could this be right when Gamble Pazos and Rumbelow is that am I roughly correct on my level of ball in year I, I think you are okay. and and you know it's a, it's it's funny because we have done a fair number of trades with the Yankees and right now they're you know their issue and, and I call it an issue they have got so much talent that they wind up boxed out in their ability to manage their 40-man roster and and uh, Brian Cashman who I think is one of if not the best in the business he's he's done this as long as anybody going right now and more championships than than we've all won together <laughs> but uh you know Cash Cash has jokingly referenced the fact that you know first with Ben Gamble later with with James Pazos and then this deal with Rumbelo he had very nice things to say about Rumbelo and and when he was done referencing the deals that we've done he said, "You guys, you guys have done pretty good with my stuff." <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, I would absolutely and, say so. And uh, we will keep going back to his stuff if we can, because these guys, and not just the contributions they make on the field, but as you know from traveling with the club, they're great guys. Absolutely. I, Ben Gamble works his tail off, and, and I think every one of those teammates in the room knows he's going to lay it out on the field. And James Pazos cares, and you know I, I think it gets lost in the weeds how good a year and how good an arm he had as a first-time big leaguer. And we feel like Nick Rumbelow is next in that line. You know, I don't. I'd have to go back and look at the numbers to see if they leveled out. Now that you brought up Pazos, but I mean, there was a period there where he had maybe even he might have rivaled Zipchinski in terms of ground ball rate. I mean, it was right there with him. And the strikeout rate was like you know, exponentially higher. Yeah. yeah. And to find the golden ticket of the ground balls and the strikeout rate to that level. And again, it might have leveled out near the end. I mean, to your point of how good he was in his first full season, I mean, that kind of stuff, it was remarkable that he was. And it, was, it almost seemed like even in Seattle, it was under the radar for some reason. Really under the radar, but not under radar in the industry. Sure. You know, 
Paz was uh, pitching his first full year. He was 26 years old, mid to upper 90s with the fastball. You know, his breaking ball can be a little hit or miss, but when he's hitting on his breaking ball, he's as tough as anybody in the league. He managed a strikeout rate. He's He did get an, an above-average ground ball rate that did level out some from the, the early season results, but was still a positive result for us. And I would say that over the course of 2017 and even into the offseason, we don't get hit on any player more in trade discussion or requests than James Potts. Really? He's, uh, he's frequently asked about because you don't find a lot of sure. you know you don't find a lot of 26 year old lefties that throw in the mid 90s who are making close to league minimum who have gone out and shown that they can be effective in the big leagues. You know, for Gamble, I don't know if you you probably don't have this problem because you're the general manager. <laughs> but look, whenever I see Gamble in the clubhouse and I want to ask him a question about whatever it might be, even though I know Ben a little bit, you know he just has that kind of like hard shell look to him, right? I'm always, I don't want to say I'm tepid, but I, I don't know, I mentally maybe I talk myself out of it, and then I go up and I'll talk to Ben, and it's just, oh, hey, yeah, hi, how are you doing? I mean, it's like the nicest, like, calmest, most casual surfer dude, you know, like, he sounds like he's going to have this, like, super gruff, deep voice, just, like, as nice of a guy, like, sit on Santa's lap type of guy, right? I mean, he, like... The, the person doesn't match the exterior. At least that's what I've found. I think that's right. Yeah. And and I don't know, you know, Ben, is he's he's a gentle soul. Yeah, that's a great yeah. way to put it, yes. Yeah, he, he works his tail off. Every every teammate in there loves him. Maybe it's the, the bushy mane that, is, <laughs> that, that sends you That better you not go away. Yeah, he's, uh, I don't think it will. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he, is, uh, he is a great guy. He's easy to talk to. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's, of all the guys in our clubhouse, I think one of the easiest guys to spend time with is Ben Gamble. Is this a whether it's around the cage, it's in the clubhouse. He's got the time of day for everybody. Yeah. You know, if left to his own devices, like most twenty-five-year-olds in a major league clubhouse, they'll be fairly quiet. But I think over the course of the second half of the season, one, you know, I was, I mean, we got into the middle of the season. Ben Gamble was leading the American League in hitting, and and uh, over the course of the second half of the season, he really started to show some personality in that room. And and as his confidence grew on the field, it grew in the clubhouse. And and I obviously my my thought is it'll it'll grow even more. There's no reason Ben Gamble should be done getting better. Yeah, no, we love Ben. We love everything about Ben, and what a good dude. And you're right. Uh, he probably would be pretty quiet if left to his own devices, but he, he's, he's got a good personality. Uh, hey, let's wrap up this first episode. Let's talk a little turkey, Jerry. Tomorrow, at the time of this recording, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Now, you were telling me earlier that you're not, like, you're not allowed to touch the turkey in the DePoto household. I, I fancy myself a culinary magician, which is, <laughs> which is now, to say, on. which Let's is to say, down. I cook some. Okay, there we go. And uh, the, the I am uh, I am my, I drive my wife crazy. I, I read cookbooks. I watch the Food Network as religiously as as I watch the Baseball Network, and and uh, I like to experiment. I love to to cook, and it's it's my hobby. It keeps me sane, so to speak. But on Thanksgiving, where otherwise they are willing to be, my family is willing to be the guinea pig for whatever I want to throw on the on the stove, on the grill, on the table. They are on Thanksgiving. I am not allowed near the meat. Uh, now, how can this be? Mama cooks the meat. That's the way it rolls. Did you the, destroy the, the turkey one year? Does this result in that, or is this just this is just how it's always been? It's how it's always been. I seed. I, I, I am I am there to work on uh, the side dishes, which I, I am allowed to work on the side dishes, and I am the, the dishwasher to make sure that 
that mama's always got what she needs. So uh, my wife does a great job on Thanksgiving. I've got two daughters that are now going to be 25 and 23, and and uh, they're they're the one's very recently helpful. married. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, my oldest daughter was recently married. She won't be with us. She's with her in-laws this oh, Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, sure. So. That hap- that's, that's life, baby. That's yeah. what happens. Which made my, it, it increased my workload in the kitchen. <laughs> so what's the, what's the Jerry DePoto go-to side dish on Thanksgiving? Uh, sweet potatoes with a little bit of cinnamon and apples uh, or maybe my favorite. Uh, that, that has manifested over the years. Big on the Brussels sprouts with bacon okay. and a little balsamic, okay. as a, which is maybe – just recently, let's call it the last three years, we've started exploring that. And Very edgy. Yeah, and, it's, and, and a new like a, a new take on green beans, green beans with, with a little sugar and some uh, some sliced almonds. If you haven't sugar. tried it, try it. You heard it here first. You can thank me later. So, like, are we blanching these bad boys? Yeah, okay. blanch them, a little bit of sugar, and and some almonds. It'll be it's it is the world's best green bean. Now, what kind of it's it's very interesting. Okay, now what kind of topping are we talking about on the sweet potato? We go like a pecan streusel. Yes. Okay. Pecan, it's pecan, cinnamon, brown apples, okay. brown sugar, and it is it so is like diced apples delicious. in the sweet potatoes. Yes. Granny Smith, we go we go tart to balance out the sweetness. Correct. Okay. This is my favorite part of the whole conversation. Well, this will be episode two. Oh, oh Tani, yeah. then, then Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> we, we buried the lead. Um, are you a are you a, like a dressing guy? Now, now let's, let's first of all let's clear this up. It's not stuffing unless it's in the bird. It's dressing on the side. Don't put it in the bird. It's a casualty waiting to happen. Are you in agreement with this? I, I am generally in agreement with this. I am a dressing guy. Uh, my wife is the dressing builder. Queen. Okay. Yes. Uh, that is another one that I am not necessarily allowed in the way. Man, I, I don't. I gotta stop the, asking you questions. No, I'll, it's the staples. It is the staples. I, at 364 days a year, yeah. the, the kitchen is my playground. On Thanksgiving, I am. I'm the sous chef. So then, on like, let's say that this is just any. So you got an off day in July. Okay, you're at home with the wife and the two dogs. Two dogs. Okay. I got a, fr- a French bulldog and an English bulldog. My, my Frenchie is a, I've got a Frenchie who's 14 years old, so he's outlived the the lifespan of a Frenchie by let's call it six years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. We joke that he's made a deal with the devil. He is uh, he's blind. He can't hear. Uh, he wears a diaper and and <laughs> cruises around the house. He's got his little pattern. He knows how not to run into furniture, but. Uh, he, he's a beauty. And then we've got a four-year-old English bulldog who's like the life of the party and energetic as they come. Have you ever, have you like fielded a trade request while changing your dog's diaper? That's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, there's, I have, I can tell you I have very recently, let's say when we made the deal with the Yankees, uh-huh. been outside, you know, following him around the yard to make sure <laughs> he didn't walk walked. off an edge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll save the, uh, di- the bulldog diapers for another episode, but I do want to know, what is your go-to everyday common meal in the household, in, in kitchen de depoto? Wow, go-to everyday common meal. Yeah. If I had, like, one staple yeah. that'll, that'll pull off multiple times sure. in a month. Like, you don't need a recipe. It's just upstairs. You got it in the head. Yeah, I, I, love, I love making either, like, a Wagyu strip or a, a filet on the grill okay. with just a little bit of salt and pepper. And I do, a, like, like, a potato hash with root vegetables also on the grill that is really i i mean it, it goes over fairly well in at Che de Poto. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we'll mix with that some type of bright vegetable to to liven it up like a green or a red or an orange and and uh the, the something like that standard meat and potatoes is uh is 
pretty common for us. If I had one go-to that I'd just go to the store, grab that, throw it on the grill, that would be it. Now let's, let's level out here. When you were a toiling minor leaguer, in i mean choose your town right like binghamton were you in the minors in binghamton no i was actually i came up with the indians That's so okay. watertown akron? new york yeah akron okay Ohio. like we got young depoto in akron all right and you're like at that time your 625 dollar a month apartment i mean are you going to the store and getting a wagyu steak? i wish i could have afforded a 625 dollar <laughs> farm we shared it with three people so we could uh, we i mean could. there's no wagyu strip back in akron right I mean, oh no 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 no, yeah, no. This is a, yeah, that was, was the, that was straight like sirloin or Salisbury <laughs> steak. And, and you know, uh, we actually, I, maybe where I developed the desire to cook was that the, when we were in the minor leagues, you have to fend for yourself. And, you know, my, my wife and I, we, we got married very young. I was 22, she was 21, and, and we've been together since the, the start of my mm-hmm. baseball journey almost 30 years ago now and and uh the we i learned a lot about cooking from her and some of the side dishes that i was allowed to prepare and and i could do a lot of italian just from from working with my mom and my grandmother in the in the kitchen and that became my my niche and as a result now we probably make italian even less than we ever did because i've explored so many different areas Although recently we did buy a pizza oven for the backyard. Oh, now that's big league. That's yeah. a big league move right there, Jerry. It is. I will say that that is as much as my wife is maybe shuns me in the kitchen on Thanksgiving yeah. not to get near the bird. That she jokes around about the fact that I'm a little territorial with the pizza oven. That's like a wood-fired pizza oven. Correct, and it's a we can do just about anything in there. It's from the good people at Woodstone up in Bellingham in the event that you would like your own. <laughs> uh, There's only one general manager in this podcast who can who can go. Pull <laughs> off the backyard uh, pizza oven. Oh, it's awesome. And you can uh, you can do anything from, from oh, yeah. desserts to pizzas to I'll, I'll cook a ribeye in the pizza oven. It's awesome. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, uh, chicken, you could a whole side of salmon. Correct. We, we've got that. I've got the wood planks in just about every possible, you know, form. That, that's Lumberjack great. Jerry. Okay. Uh, hey, Jerry, this is, uh, we've, we've, we've done a lot here, especially in the back nine of this podcast. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I hope we haven't scared you away after episode one. Uh, but happy Thanksgiving to you. Thanks for all the Otani insights. I know people have been uh, foaming at the mouth to uh, hear about that. So thank you for this. Happy Thanksgiving. And uh, we look forward to more of these in the future. I look forward to it, too. Thanks, Thanks.